the reason why these people are not getting business is because they're stuck in their outreach. They have some limiting beliefs around outreach, right? And visibility. Hello, and welcome to Brandtuned, the only podcast on branding, which includes related disciplines like intellectual property that are fundamental to growing a brand. I'm Shireen Smith, lawyer, brand strategist, and curious business owner, keen to discover what moves the needle in branding. My guest today is Charla Dinkoy, author of two books and host of the podcast Polish My Pitch, which I think says it all about her positioning. So Charla, welcome to Brandtuned, and please tell us a little more about your background. Yes, thanks for having me. Um, it was a, a such a nice surprise to get a message from you and your team, and I'm so happy to be here. Um, I spent 18 years saying no to people trying to sell to me when I worked in corporate, and I worked for some pretty sexy brands like Pepsi, Pizza Hut, Frito-Lay. And so you can imagine, and I don't know, Shireen, is your background corporate? I have had some corporate in my background, yeah. I was an in-house lawyer at Reuters. Oh, yeah. And did you spend any time saying no to vendors trying to pitch you? Oh, yes, absolutely, yes. (laughs) And imagine a lawyer being pitched. But imagine, you know, me in brand management, how many agencies and how many creative people and how many uh, just vendors and suppliers of uh, corrugate or just name it, packaging, um, anything at all. And so what I learned very quickly is um, they don't know what they're doing when they're pitching. And after leaving a career after 18 years, I decided to teach these vendors how to pitch to corporations so that they can actually get in the door and then close the sale once they're in. Oh, right. So when did you actually start your business? It was about, I think I'm going to say eight years now. Eight years. Mm -hmm. So what was it like at the beginning? What were your challenges? I mean, presumably you didn't have any clients. So how did it work (laughs) for you? For sure. (laughs) So uh, the thing is, I had always dreamed of having my own business. So seven years before I left, it took me seven years to leave my corporate job, imagine, after I started uh, my business. So I, and in fact, I've had it for 15 years, but so for seven years, I certified as an um, international co- like coach federation, ICF, if you've ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and- yeah, I'm doing the training now. Are you? Yes. Oh, that's yeah. wonderful. So it, you'll be very familiar with the terminology. Mm-hmm. I certified as an ACC level, which is the mm-hmm. lowest level. So I thought once I get my certification, that's it. You know, then the let the money roll in. <laughs> that is not how it worked. Because once I got out there, I saw that there were now there's more. So I feel for you. So many coaches, so many. And do you know what the median income is for them, according to ICF Global? I I wouldn't know. I'm I'm not trying to earn from coaching. It's just an extra skill that seems useful to add on. Yeah, but imagine the people that are certified coaches who are trying to make a living. Their mm-hmm. median income is twenty thousand dollars a year. So Gosh. it's I mean I don't know what it's like where you live, but in Canada that's pretty close to the poverty level, like welfare. 
Wow. What, why is that? Is, is it just very competitive? Or what? Yeah, it's very competitive. But here's the real reason. And this is what I help people with is they're not differentiated. Mm. while doing and saying the same things. When I spoke at the ICF conferences, I would always ask, can you please stand up in the room if you are an executive coach? So everybody, like half the room would stand up. (laughs) So Mm. they had no differentiator. They had no uh, way to, they they were saying all the same things. They were saying, I help people who are stuck, get unstuck. Now I'm hearing so much language around um, the imposter syndrome. (laughs) So leadership coaches are saying that they help with the imposter syndrome. And that terminology came from Sheryl Sandberg's book called Lean In. And Mm. so essentially what I help people do, um, B2B service-based companies, is find a differentiator through a process called super niching, which means getting really super hyper-focused on one industry or interest group and one facet of a large pain point that's costing a lot of money to uh, an organization or uh, emotional pain to a, a, an individual if they're serving individuals. Does that make right. sense? If, if I understand correctly, it took you seven years to actually position yourself so that you could leave your job and set up is that what no no No, it took me seven years to gather the courage shireen (laughs) and finally i wouldn't have ever done it had it not been for a woman that i'd been having fights with for two years and finally it came to a head and she was on and off her medication uh you know, and my, my bosses refused to do anything about it. You know, the, if, if you've ever worked for the corporate world, it happens every day that there's such toxicity in the, in the workplace. And I, I pray to that woman every day. I want to kiss her on the lips if I see her, because now I make four times what I used to make after 18 years in the corporate world. And then I have all the time in the world. I have a special needs son who's on the autism spectrum. So I'm able to afford all the extra services that he needs and able to have the time, the flexible time to be able to take him to those activities that he needs. So I, I bless her every day. So you used your own methodology then to niche down. So what did you focus on initially? Well, so it, at the beginning, I was just a generic coach because honestly, that's the training. You know, you're taking it, right? It's the same training and the same coach methodology if you're serving corporations or individuals. Then I decided to niche it down to marketing. I started getting a few more clients. Then I started to niche it down even further into becoming a niching coach then people started to take even more note of what I was doing because they're in so much pain for this. And then mm. now I uh, bill myself as an elevator pitch coach because three out of four business owners, when they do their elevator pitch, never get asked for a card or a meeting or their information. And what I do is I help fix what they're saying on these. Last night I was in one where there were 50 people where um, you only have like a minute and that's it. Then the room closes and you're shot into another breakout room on Zoom. And so that's the whole um, thing is that's what I help fix what they're saying so that every hello turns into a meeting. 
Sure, it's the beginning of a relationship. So very smart move, really, to focus on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your experience of creating your brand for, for the business? You were a former brand manager, so presumably you had plenty of experience. Absolutely. So the, uh, there are three ways really to differentiate yourself, right? One is by super niching. And when you super niche, all you need to do is the market research. You don't need to buy anything new. You don't need to hire anybody else. You don't need to do anything other than change your messaging and to do the research around where's the gap in the market. And so, for example, um, if you're a, a leadership coach, one of my clients, we did the research and we found that the industry she was closest to that she could get a lot of traction in was many small manufacturing companies and the super niche for her would be um, uh, helping them make better decisions because they were constantly at the top putting out fires because the mid-management didn't know how to make decisions they weren't uh, authorized to make decisions Um, so that's what she became the decision making coach and we changed the name of her company to um, problemsolvingleader.com. So that's one way to do it, right? The brand can be differentiated through super niching. The second way is through a brand character. So if, um, so for example, if you look, think about Richard Branson from Virgin, his brand character is his personality, which is goes up against the big guy completely a little bit nuts. You know, he jumped out of an airplane in a a wedding gown in the uh, 90s, I think it was. So it takes you take your personality and you put it into the actual brand and the stories that you tell, the way that you convey your messaging on your uh, whether it's on your social media or in your website or in your keynotes or in podcasts like this. So that's the other way to do it. And in small business, I often give the example of Uh, There's a a coach by the name of Suzanne uh, Evans in the U.S. She's a multi-million dollar coach, and she's a a, a giant woman who's a former opera singer who's gay. And um, she has a potty mouth. Like when you used to go to her events, she would uh, throw little fake hand grenades with the letter F so that it would be F-bombs into the audience. And so, you know, like so clever, right? So that was her brand and not everybody would be turned on by that. Some people were quite turned off by her potty mouth, but that was her brand. So many, she was so differentiated. So many people loved her for her truth telling. So then that's the second way. So the first way is super niching. The second way is having a brand character. And the third way is to um, simply position yourself as an authority by getting out there and doing a lot of TV interviews and a lot of books. So you mentioned I have two. I now have four. (laughs) And then, yeah, and and I've done like 20 TV appearances. And and so the way you position yourself is, is by celebritizing yourself. So that's a third way of differentiating. And when you ask me which of the three that I've done, I've done all three because I want I, I'm on, you know, like super growth, always super growth mode, even after COVID is that I'm constantly differentiating myself, super niched myself and out there with the visibility. Does that make sense? Sure. Yes. So that's why you decided to help people solve their positioning challenges and grow their sales. 
Um, how do you actually go about helping them with it? Do you do the research or do you just advise them how to research? Yeah, it? so, I mean, the research has to happen within their natural networks. So I couldn't possibly do that research because nobody would give me the time of day because their natural networks is, knows them, right? Mm -hmm. They have to reach out. And so I teach them how to fish. I teach them the method methodology, but we co-create the actual, um, the process is the same, but we co-create the actual questions that we're going to ask and the actual pain points that we're guessing around each bucket of each industry or interest group. So I have so much experience. I've done this like hundreds of times with so many clients now that um, I have a really good sense of what are some of the pain points in the industries and they do as well, because these people often have like decades of experience in multiple uh, areas of different verticals and different uh, industries and interest groups. So then we collaborate together to put together a hypothesis of what the possible pain points are for that industry and that uh, or that interest group. And then we then flush out what are some of the key metrics that we need to be able to market to them, like what in industry events do they hang out at? What Google words would they use literally at the top of their mind? Um, you know, what how much would they pay for this service? And so on. And what is the decision tree at their company? Kind of who needs to decide what first and then how would they come to that purchase from you? So these are some like tried and true um, questions. It's a questionnaire. It's a methodology I developed after. I mean, I spent years, Shireen, in dark rooms in the back of um, qualitative research rooms where they have those double mirrors. So I, I watched like hundreds of hours of research and so and paid millions in 18 years for research. And it boggles my mind when small businesses uh, are just throwing spaghetti at the wall to figure out what they should say on their website, what they should say in their elevator pitch. They're just trying it from gut and what they see other people doing. And it, it hurts them because um, they, they never have enough interest they're leaving money on the table and it always comes back to their messaging and they don't even know what they don't know. That's interesting. Um, just as a side issue, because I'm doing coaching at the moment, it's very non-directional. So it's all about letting the other party work it out for themselves. So how do you actually weave in this sort of advice into coaching? Ah, very good. And see, I know you're a coach for asking that. I don't do coaching. I am uh -huh. only, I only work as a consultant. Now, the coaching skill comes out when there's there is a block, right? And there's always a block because I'm dealing with human beings. So mm -hmm. in my group coaching program, we recently uh, came up with a block to doing the research of people, you know, like my students were unable to get over the fear of calling people, even though they knew them, because they didn't want to be a pest, because they themselves had the perception that if they were called, they felt that people were being pests. So they didn't want to be in that position. So we had to do the coaching to figure out, and I definitely used my training to be able to help them get unstuck and to reframe it and to come up with their own resources and because every human is creative and resourceful and has the answers. 
So for sure, Shireen, it has, it's never, never a waste. I mean, I use it every day with my kid. I use it in all my interactions, right? It's never a waste. Yeah, it's a useful skill to have, for sure. <laughs> Isn't it? So, I mean, I'm not surprised people have problems with with this. I mean, finding the data, working out what's significant and asking questions, it's, it's all very, very tough for people. Yeah. Do you have a service whereby you can point people to someone else if they want somebody else to help them to do the research? Or is it purely they themselves who need to do it? Well, you know, Shireen, this, what I do is really uh, twofold. One is to really find the data, but really two is the reason why these people are not getting business is because they're stuck in their outreach. They have some limiting beliefs around outreach, right? Mm -hmm. And visibility. So uh, the bigger portion of what I do, and especially in my, like my, you know, multiple five figure programs is to get to the heart of that. So um, I absolutely would, uh, you know, refer them out if, you know, that would help them, but that's not going to help them to get someone else to do their outreach. Because even when they hire teams and teams of sales reps, if they can't sell themselves, no sales rep is going to be able to sell them as well as they sell themselves. So, okay, so what do you mean by limiting beliefs? Like uh, the fact that they'll be a pest if they pick up the phone. That's right, yeah. Or that people are too busy for me, or I'm not important enough, or I don't matter, I'm not valuable. These are core, core, core issues, Shireen, that no amount of sales reps are going to solve. And how do you help people? Is it sort of group masterminds, uh, online programs? What do you actually offer? So it was all one-on-one private prior to COVID. <laughs> and then after COVID, I've introduced, I've, in, I've um, added a group program. That's a year long. We meet every Monday. So every Monday I'm in your mind, uh, I'm on your calendar and there's nowhere to go. <laughs> there's nowhere to run. So that if you're unable to perform a task, we get to the bottom of why and then put in some strategies throughout the week until the next Monday so that you start to address them. Okay, that sounds pretty useful. So can new people join or is it fixed, the number who joined? No, no, it's an evergreen. It's an evergreen. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'll give you my uh, information at the end that I'm sure you will as well, uh, where they can. Yeah, we can add it to the show. For sure, absolutely. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest mistake that's paralyzing small businesses right now, you know, after the pandemic? Yeah. You know, I mean, after the pandemic, I had to pivot, right? Because I, I made all my living last year. I had my biggest year uh, just, and I didn't once lift like, you know, uh, lift a finger or pick up a phone because I spoke at uh, 14 conferences in the U S in 12 months and I'm in Canada. Right. So um, my whole market is in the U S I don't even really have any uh, clients just got a a VIP client uh, last week in Canada. But aside from that, it's usually in the U S so I'm always there. And what, what happened when the borders closed is that all those, obviously that whole funnel went away. So I was in the fetal position for a a couple of um, weeks, I'm going to say, but then, um, 
I then looked at what's, you know, what's happening. And the reality is I was going to have to shift to online uh, education and online funnels anyway, because I was getting really tired of waking up in a different city every month. So it just accelerated, like COVID accelerated the future for me. And it's now going to allow me to scale faster because I couldn't, I couldn't see, well, how am I going to do multiple, you know, seven figures because there's only one of me. How am I going to speak at three or four times the amount of places that I'm speaking at? I just couldn't, couldn't fathom it. Right. So this has allowed me to, to pivot. And so that's one of the main mistakes is that people are either refusing to pivot or they don't know what to pivot into. So they're flailing again, they're doing that, throwing spaghetti at the wall and trying different things. Whereas if, um, and some of these people who want to pivot have hired me and, and already they're well established in their new niches. So it's just a process to learn where the market gap is, where your super niche needs to be, because no matter what happens in the world, at what time, um, you can use the same process and just find out, okay, where's the new gap in the market today? So that's mm-hmm. the mistake that they're making is they're not focusing on the market gap through a super niche. They're just trying flailing at the wind and guessing at what needs to be done. And then, you know, it's not, it's not moving fast enough for them. Mm. I'm surprised you yourself don't have online courses because it seems to me to be a very useful way to provide education and then combine that with group coaching. I always had terrible, I don't know about you. Did you take online courses a lot? Yeah, I've done a number, but (laughs) admittedly I haven't finished them all. But that's what I mean. You see, like um, at the beginning of my, uh, of my business, I I had sort of like a take-home self-study and the people would pay like over a thousand dollars for it, Shireen, and they wouldn't even crack the, the binding open. Like they wouldn't even, and they were like, it was books and it was, uh, you know, uh, CDs and then they had videos, like nobody would do them. And it, it just, it depressed me that nobody was getting results because nobody was even cracking the cellophane open. So, mm. you know, I just believe, and I see when I'm like one-on-one with my clients. And so that's why when I created an online, um, training, there is a, an element of that uh, do-it-yourself kind of thing, but it's all like Mondays, I'm in your face. Like you, you have nowhere to run. And so that's kind of, it makes it sound scary, but <laughs> that's where uh, I see the biggest bang for their buck and the biggest uh, growth and the biggest value for them. Because what, what most people need is a change in mindset. And if they have access to a mindset that's further than theirs, then they change. And if it's consistent, then they change. That's what I believe. That's what's always worked for me in coaching, for my, you know, for my own coaching. Sure. So how can you tell if a business has a good niche or, or a niche that's going to be hopeless? How can you actually tell? Oh, my goodness. I just listened to their elevator pitch. It's unbelievable. I've done this now. I, like, you know that I have a podcast called Polish My Pitch, and that, mm. it's a five-minute podcast. So it's very just five minutes. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So, I mean, we have a a second portion that's 20 minutes where we talk about the business, but the first portion is the um, guest comes in like me and I ask them, well, pretend that I'm a um, prospect and do your elevator pitch in 30 seconds. And Uh you you and I could do it if you wanted to. 
So then uh, they do it. And then I ask for their permission to polish and then they polish it. So I've heard, you can't even imagine, never mind the years and years of stage work that I've done where people have lined up at the microphone and I do it in the spot, mm -hmm. on the spot, like in the moment, fix them. But uh, so to pertain to the to what you're saying is I can hear right away in their elevator pitch if they're super niche or not, or if they're leaving money on the table. And that's what I fix. And so here's the formula. The formula to the perfect elevator pitch is obviously it's based around your super niche, but it has to say who you help, what problem you fix and what the result is. And you can get fancy and add an overview of how you do it. And that's it. So that really the formula is if, and if I don't, if, if I hear vague, it means you're broke. Vague equals broke in my book. And then uh, the second part that I look at is the faster it takes for me to understand what you do, the more money you make. So the shorter your explanation of what you do, the more money you make. So those are the things that we work towards when we have a super niche, because like, look at mine, it was, uh, did you know that three out of four business owners never get asked for a business card or their information or a meeting when they do their elevator pitch? So I give um, a statistic around the pain to give it size, scope and believability because it's, you know, it's not just you it's everyone in that boat i frame it around who i help and then i tell them what i do to fix it and i say well i fix what they're saying basically which is their messaging and the result is that every hello turns into a meeting request does that make mm. sense yeah that's really interesting so just one question before our final one i saw i think on your website that you you thought that spending more money and time on marketing and selling doesn't work. So I'm intrigued to know why you think that. Because if you're spending it to scream louder about a vague message, it's, ah, so right. vague. <laughs> it's just <laughs> vagueness. Vagueness, yeah. Not being clear about what, what it is you offer. Yeah. And Finally, which brand do you particularly admire and why? There are so many, but um, like it's certainly, certainly I love Amazon, right? Always, always have admired. Like I used to be the, the person who used to wait for their books in the mail and I would be addicted. So I like when I was on mat leave, I literally ordered one a day you know, a book a day and I'd be waiting and the neighbors would all know. And if, um, you know, like I wasn't there to pick it up, they'd come and give it to me. Like, and even back then, and that was like 15 years ago, imagine, but then they had probably started way earlier. They used to use such algorithms to recommend the best things for me. And I would look for their recommendation. Like, you know, like I trusted the, their recommendation. And the reason for that is because they could cut my data so well and serve it up back to me in such a way. And that is the future. And, and they're constantly innovative and they're constantly at the cutting edge of everything. So that is absolutely a brand I totally admire. So you're a great reader, are you? Have you read How Brands Grow by Byron Sharp? 
No, that's a, that's one I haven't. What's it about? Yeah. Obviously, how brands. It's about evidence-based marketing. What works? What sells? What doesn't sell? It's very interesting. Love it. Um, it's based on research they've done for big brands like Coca-Cola, and you know, so it's really well, well worth looking at as a marketer for yourself. Great. Well, it's been lovely having you on this podcast, Charla. Um, thank you. Thank you. Next week, my guest is Alison Edgar, the entrepreneur godmother who helps businesses with sales. If you've listened to the podcast to this point, please do like, share, or rate it. If you have an important message to share that would be relevant to listeners, then do connect with me and let me know. You can find me on most platforms, but perhaps the best one to use is LinkedIn. 